All right, welcome to lesson three. And we're entitling this lesson, The Purpose of the Tribulation. I'm doing a lot to lay a foundation and a groundwork before we actually jump into the line upon line study of the Revelation. And, and more of a, we're going to probably do more of a topical study of the Revelation because to do line upon line would probably take a year or two. It's just too much. But in, in giving you this, all this foundation and introduction, we want to cover over and over again from so many different angles what the Revelation or, or the Tribulation is all about. Because if you understand what the tribulation is all about, it's going to be easier to accurately interpret and build doctrine on what the book of Revelation says. If you don't understand what all the Old Testament says about the revelation and the tribulation, then when you get into the revelation and the seven-year tribulation, you'll, you'll start coming up with squirrely doctrine about how we have to go through it. And, and there's a mid-tribulation and there's no pre-tribulation rapture and all this stuff that we'll discuss but we cover this stuff over and over again, all these different facets, laying the best, broadest, deepest foundation I could possibly muster at this point in my life with my understanding and hopefully communicate that to you. Because as the late Dr. Hilton Sutton said over and over again, the revelation is a study of hope. The Bible is a book of hope. And if you serve God, the Bible gives you great hope. If you don't serve God, the Bible will torment you. Amen. So Pastor Vaughn used to point this out. He said, if you read the Bible and it always beats you up, it's because you refuse to do it. But if you're willing to do the Bible and you read the Bible, it will encourage you, it'll strengthen you. It might convict you, sure. It ought to convict you, but if it's always beating you up, it's because you're being stubborn. If we serve God, if we love Jesus Christ, we study the revelation, it should encourage us, put a fight in us, put a smile in our, in our soul, and just and strengthen us for these last days. Because we have not been appointed to wrath as the church. So we're going to look at this stuff as, again on the purpose of the tribulation. This is going to further drive home the point that as we study the revelation, it's not talking about us. From chapter 6 to chapter 19 in the revelation, hopefully you're reading it on your own, is not talking about the church. Uh, one of our next lessons coming up is called Eight Evidences of a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. If you've got eight biblical evidences of a pre-tribulation rapture, I think we pretty much got the thing nailed. There is a mid-tribulation rapture, sure, but the church isn't on that bus. All right, let's get into this. The tribulation is the name given to the last seven years of Jewish time. Forgive me if we've covered this stuff over and over again, but we'll continue to do so. For some of you, you've probably never studied this subject, but seeing as how we are living in the last days, it's something we ought to all be brought up to, at least in a working knowledge speed concerning. It is a seven-year period of time when the Lord will fulfill his covenant with the Jews and conclude the time of man's rule on the earth. That thing is coming to a close very quickly. If you hadn't observed it, man is really lame at ruling. Man is really, really bad at being in power. Our founding fathers recognized that in limited terms of presidents, in terms of senators, in terms of, of congressmen, because people just are not good at leading, not without God's help. Amen. The tribulation will immediately be followed by the millennial reign of Christ. These seven years are Daniel's final week. We just covered that last time. Uh, the emphasis will be on God dealing in these last seven years of time, Daniel's 70th week. The emphasis is on God dealing with his people, the Jews, his enemies, and the nations that have persecuted his people. So what we're going to show you this lesson is what the tribulation is all about. Because if you can see what the Bible says, what the Bible puts the emphasis on, you can understand how we are excluded from that. Amen. And that really will help your eschatology or your knowledge of end time events. 
So let's keep reading here because we have a lot of stuff to cover this morning. The seven years of tribulation were first revealed to Daniel, but the exact details were hidden from him and sealed up. Daniel was, was basically so far back in the past, he could only see so far through the prophetic eye or through the spirit of prophecy. So he saw it, but not the details of it. It's like seeing a war coming, but not knowing exactly the details of the war, the battles, the skirmishes, the technology, etc. But he could see stuff coming. Uh, Daniel 12, 4 and 9 say, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. That's, that's talking about everything he saw. Even to the time of the end. That's what we now live in. It's called the time of the end. Many shall ro- run to and fro. That's exactly where we're at. Never before have so many airplanes taken off and landed. You can, go, you can be anywhere in the world in a day and a half. That is why used to it take months on ship to get somewhere in the world. That was just 100 years ago. And now you can be anywhere in the world in a day and a half. That's fulfilling Daniel's prophecy. And knowledge shall be increased. There's not a single question you can't answer right now on your phone in less than a fraction of a second. Amen. They're just, it's, everything's out there now. The only stuff that's new on the internet is the stuff they're discovering today and they're putting on the internet tomorrow. Knowledge has increased exponentially. Notice righteousness hasn't really, though, nor has peace. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So it's sealed. So Daniel couldn't see anymore. What's neat, though, is what happens in the Revelation. Let's read here. These intricate details of this time of trouble were sealed up in a book and hidden until the time of the end. That's the day we're living in. John saw this same book in the Revelation sealed with seven seals. Isn't that cool? The angel told Daniel, seal the book up. John the Revelator gets to heaven, sees a book with seven seals, really a scroll. They didn't have books like what we have. So it had been a scroll rolled up and then sealed with seven seals along the opening of it. That's the same book. And nobody's worthy to open it. That's the problem in Revelation chapter 4. Nobody's worthy to open it until Jesus Christ steps forward. And those become the seven seals of the first seven judgments on the earth. Revelation 5, 1 and 2. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written or scroll within and on the backside. So you can imagine this scroll and it's written front and back. Otherwise, if you think it's a book, why would you write on the outside of the book? The front and back of the book. So we have to kind of bring our understanding back in time a little bit. Sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Only Jesus was able or is able, because it hasn't come to pass yet. It's yet future tense. As each seal was opened, John saw a new event of the tribulation revealed, and we'll cover that in our lesson number seven. I want you to see that everything we're about to look at details the heart and the purpose of the tribulation. This was all hidden from Daniel until the time of John. It was all sealed away. Nobody saw it coming. We have to understand this as Christians, and this will help us, that we don't know everything. But what we do is we walk by faith with what we do know. And so much of the time as Christians, we want to know everything before we do anything. And if you have to know everything before you do anything, you don't walk by faith. Before, unless the Lord had shown Daniel this, nobody would know anything. When we cover the rapture, we'll point out that uh, Paul says very clearly, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. The rapture of the church was a total mystery hidden from everybody, Peter, James, John, revealed only to Paul. And if Paul had not been given permission to reveal to us the rapture, we'd have no clue it was coming. And yet we could still walk by faith and serve God. 
So, so we live in the day where knowledge abounds. Some of us, if we're not careful, we'll ruin our walk with Jesus Christ by trying to be know-it-alls. Now, we're not against knowledge. We're not against education. We're not against knowing God. But some things you're not going to know, and you've got to be cool with that. You've got to be able to say, Lord, I trust you. When you've said, Lord, I trust you enough, you can say every day, I don't have a clue what next week holds, and I don't care. When you've proven the Lord and the Lord's proven you faithful, you can say, I trust him. I don't know what it's going to be next year, but it's going to be good and it's going to be God and I'll fear not. But other, the only other thing you can be is a control freak. And if you haven't learned by now, you can't control God. Many have tried, none have succeeded, some have gone to hell over it. You have to say, Lord, I trust you. Daniel didn't get to see all this and had the Lord not revealed it to Daniel, we'd have no doctrine on this subject. It would be a total blank spot in our theology. And yet even some of it is still mysterious. It's, a mystery means an unrevealed thing, an unspoken thing. It's in the heart and mind of God. He's just not revealed it to us yet. The Bible says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into your heart yet the things that the Lord has prepared for us. So probably even from next year on is still a total mystery for us. So why are you trying to figure it out? Just say, Lord, I trust you. Because you will frustrate God trying to steer him and it'll make your current life miserable just say lord i trust you i will bloom where i'm planted i love what you're doing in my life if nothing else lord i'm not going to hell and that's good enough for me and i got clothes and i'm not running through the streets of cookville naked and i have food in my stomach and i got a vehicle i can drive and it's america and not russia what else do you need unless you're a busybody control freak all right, I'm done pastoring. Let me switch back over to teaching now. <laughs> what is the purpose? This lesson is what is the purpose of the tribulation? If we can cover this over and over again, we'll be able to accurately interpret the revelation as far as what's going on. God does everything on purpose. Amen. No, nothing's like, oh, yeah, I meant to do that. You know, like if you ever played pool and you're not good at it and you rack them and five balls go in the pockets, I meant to do that. Yeah, do it again. Now, the Lord doesn't accidentally hit five balls in a pocket. If five balls go in a pocket, he meant to do that. The tribulation is the most prophesied, most detailed event in the entire Bible story. And it's, even that is, is mercy. And as we'll say several times over the course of these lessons, it's because people will be able to, in the time of the tribulation, open up their window, see hell fall on earth. Literally, it's from heaven, but it's going to feel like hell to them and be able to watch it in the Bible. And then look at the Bible and what they read in the Bible today happen in their backyard tomorrow. It will be that exact to give the world no way to doubt God. Well, you, you believe in that Bible? Yeah, watch. Hellstone's 200 pounds. You just watch next day or two. Hellstone's 200 pounds. The Bible must be true. And yet for all that kind of detail, people will still mock God and go to hell curse him as it crashes through their house and kills their children instead of repenting and saying maybe maybe we should uh, convert to this god that's judging us the purpose of the tribulation can be found in the angel gabriel's message to daniel daniel 9 24 the angel said 70 weeks are determined upon your people and upon the holy city and here's the purpose of the tribulation we covered this briefly last lesson but here it is again Here's six points, six things the Lord's going to complete or accomplish with the tribulation, which is man's final seven years of having a go at it. To 
restrain the transgression or to finish the transgression rebellion, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, that is to atone for sins, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. All right, so what exactly does all that mean? Thank God theologians have been studying that for about 2,000 years. God revealed he would accomplish six things in these 409 years of prophetic Jewish time. Never has there been a people whose entire history was prophesied by God and set on a time clock that has to be carried out. Everything God said about the Jews would happen. He's never given that much detail to any other group of people. The tribulation will see the completion and fulfillment of this list. So let's take a look at that. Number one, to restrain the rebellion. The tribulation will restrain the rebellion. It's kind of hard to sin when people are dying every day. It's, uh, one estimate was over a billion believers will be persecuted and martyred in this time. That's one estimate. And you're basically talking about half the world's population dying in seven years. It's kind of hard to really want to live like the whore of Babylon and be a drunkard and a wine-bibber when this much calamity is taking place all around you. We've had the privilege of personally knowing and being friends with folks that have lived through Idi Amin's dictatorial reign in Uganda in the 70s. And Pastor Butch and Pastor Jeffrey in Uganda told us stories one night, and they said life was cheap. It was nothing to see people just shot in the head at a traffic stop, slump over, and their body just fall to the road. Uh, Pastor Butch said, under Idi Amin, who had the spirit of Antichrist, he was a demon-possessed man promoting Muslim Islam through Uganda. He had a lot of money from Gaddafi coming in to build the biggest mosque there in Central Africa. It's still there in Kampala. Pastor Butch said roadblocks were built out of human bodies. You came to a traffic stop, the barricades were stacked corpses. He's, but what he said that so stuck to me, life was cheap. And when life is cheap, you don't go to the clubs, you don't go to the bars, you're not exactly streaming porn. Life is cheap. You got other concerns. Meetings become underground. You're just happy to get home. On and on and on. All these dictators run the same way because they're run by the same demon. Uh, Nazi Germany was the exact same way. You see it over and over again in the last hundred years. All the major dictators operated by the same pattern because it was the same demon trying to take over the world, and they never succeeded. You know, Hitler, Hitler was, what, 38 to 45, seven years? I don't know how long Idi Amin's was. It, it was uh, shy of 10 years. It wasn't much, and then he fled into uh, asylum somewhere. You see, they don't last long because people won't take it. They rise up. Amen. This is specifically Israel's continuous rebellion against her God, but also includes the world's rebellion. This will restrain. It will put an end to this thing. Number two, make an end to sins. Israel con will continue to sin until after the tribulation. Her ultimate sin has been the rejection of her Messiah. The horrors of the tribulation will change this, as Psalm 78, 34 declared, when he slew them, then they sought him. Nothing like persecution to make God's people run back to God. I don't want that to be my testimony or your testimony. This is why the backslidden Christian believes that God will put sickness on them to seek God. As I've told you, the one guy said, well, you know, sometimes God will put, put you on your back to make you look up. And I said, well, why'd you stop looking up? Notice that verse, though. When he slew them, then they sought him. One of the purposes of the tribulation, one of the big ones, is to bring Israel back to God and for them to really receive their Messiah because they've been rejecting him for 2,000 years. 
They're militant about it. They persecute Christians in Israel. Israel's not all fun-loving. We pray for the peace of Israel, but honestly, the Jews and the Israelites or the Israelis that run Israel, they're not exactly Christ-friendly. And a lot of the pro-Israel things you see on Christian television, you give money to them, that money funds anti-Christian work in Israel. A lot of your big famous Christian TV preachers who are always pro-Israel, pro-Israel. I'm all pro-Israel, pray for Israel. I ain't giving money to Israel. They're God's people, but they're all going to hell right now because they're not born again. God is for the covenant and for those that receive him. And you can really ruffle some feathers, especially in charismatic circles when you start preaching this way about Israel. But look, just because they're God's chosen people doesn't mean God likes them. Who did Jesus preach the hardest against? Israel. Why? Because they rejected their God. They still reject their God, and they're still going to hell over it. You don't go to heaven rejecting Jesus Christ, even if you are the offspring of Abraham. Don't forget Jesus Christ said, don't you dare say we're the seed of Abraham. He said, because I can raise up the seed of Abraham out of these rocks. He kind of put everybody in their place. They are God's people that will come to the forefront during the tribulation. Right now, God is not using Israel. They have protection. They have a covenant. And God does things for them supernaturally. But get into heaven isn't one of them. All right. <laughs> Ruffle feathers. Verse three, uh, point three, atone for sins. Jesus died for the Jews first, but they have yet to receive their Messiah and his salvation. Point four, he'll bring in everlasting righteousness. These are the six points that the Lord will complete and accomplish in the tribulation. Uh, bring in everlasting righteousness. This refers to the millennial reign of Christ, his righteousness and his everlasting kingdom ushered in on the wings of Israel's long-awaited spiritual revival. Israel was supposed to have a revival 2,000 years ago, but even Jesus Christ testified, you missed the hour of your visitation. The only revival you see before that was in the days of Elijah. Ah, that's not fair. You saw it with Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. You saw a revival there. They became a nation again, but were always under military uh, opposition and under military occupation. But before that, you saw the attempted revival under Elijah. Israel's never been really good at revival. But by the way, the name Israel means wrestles with God, struggles with God. So it's kind of in their DNA. Ever since Jacob said, I'm not going to do what you want to do. You're going to do what I want to do. And the angel said, let's roll. And they wrestled all night. It's like dad letting the kid think he's something. And then the angel went, bunk, and dislocated the hip and said, you're going to walk different the rest of your life. And it'd be a reminder, I own you. And he said, and I'll change your name. You'll no longer be called supplanter, or trickster, or underminer. You'll now be called struggles with God. And that has defined them for, what, 4,000 years? <laughs> the tribulation will finally rectify all of that. I know some translations want to say prince of God, but Isra is struggles, wrestles, goes to war with. And I think it's a, um, I think it's a little bit of a theological error to say, prince of God because they ain't been much of a prince but now if you can see their whole testimony of the Bible they've always wrestled with their God for their own gain and never God's all right point five seal up the vision and the prophet after this season there'll be no more reason for prophecies or visions during the tribulation we have at least two prophets the two witnesses so there'll be prophets in the tribulation but after this there won't be there won't be need for any because all shall know me from the least to the greatest so at the end of the tribulation, man's rule is done. Jesus Christ begin as king from Jerusalem. 
and the prophets, the gifts of the ministry will all cease to be. There's going to come in something different where we'll govern and rule. We're not going to be ministry gifts. We're going to be governing gifts. And that's a lesson we can get into with the millennial reign. That, that, the millennial reign is still a little foggy for us. It's still a little blurry because it's so far out and not much has been revealed. Though I'm sure once we get there, get closer to it, all the scriptures, it's like you can change the direction of the scriptures and see something totally different. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's the beauty of the scriptures. We only get one Bible for eternity. And the Lord will tilt it this way, and you can see a whole other aspect of God. And you can turn the scriptures this way. And I'm not talking about reading your Bible upside down, but you, know, you can see them in a whole other light. It's really powerful. Point six, reconsecrate the Holy of Holies. The most holy place or the Holy of Holies in the temple will be cleansed and ready for use by the Lord in his millennial kingdom having been defiled by the abomination desolation. Other theologians believe maybe this is Israel also, the, the Jerusalem being purified, the holy city, uh, etc. Either way, everything's going to be purged and cleansed, and, and Jesus Christ will be prepared to rule the world for his thousand-year kingdom. The earth will be his footstool, and Jerusalem will be where his throne sits and where we'll come and go and govern the world for a thousand years. It's what we're looking forward to. It's what the Jews have been looking forward to for thousands of years. They've just not seen it yet. All right, so the tribulation will be a time for the Lord to deal severely with rebellion and sin in both Israel and the world. It will be very difficult to constantly rebel against God when we have wave after wave of wrath being poured out. This is what's coming. Now, again, you have to keep in mind, the Bible's very clear. We have not been appointed under wrath, talking to the church. The Bible also calls the rapture the great hope. What's the hope? We're not going to be here. Hebrews 2.3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Escape what? The wrath to come. So there's all these verses in the New Testament that give us this promise of an escape of the wrath that God's going to pour out on mankind, which is what everything is marching to. That's why, and I like to point this out. This is all about Israel, even though God's not using Israel. The whole world foreign policy revolves around Israel. A little postage-sized stamp piece of property in the Middle East that has a tiny population, and yet every news article every day has something to do with Israel and Syria, now Russia and Israel, and everybody in Israel, and Turkey in Israel, and, and the European Union in Israel, and the U.S. and what we do or don't do with Israel. Because God made a covenant with a man named Abraham, and the world still revolves around it. Because somehow in the millennial kingdom, the Lord will reign from there, and the world will still revolve around Israel. You and I, we, we're just grafted in. We're like, if I can say this, we're like second class. Now, I know we're not, because we're God's sons and daughters, but, and we're not even an afterthought, but we're secondary. Paul's very clear on that in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11. Don't think you're awesome because you've been grafted in. He reminds you, you are an unnatural branch. You're the wild olive tree. And if God can graft you in being wild, how much more can't he take them, who are the natural olive branch, and stick them back in where they belong? So we don't, we don't get arrogant or boastful. We just realize we're only in this kingdom because we were humble and terrified before a holy God and said, save me. And the Bible says, and you'll stand if you do so by faith. So we continue this walk of faith. Let's get into some rough stuff now here. We, we got mostly scriptures to read from here on out, but it's pretty powerful stuff. The tribulation's purpose for Israel. And you're going to see this over and over again. This is going to further drive home the point that the tribulation is all about Israel. has nothing to do with the church. 
One of the major purposes of the, of the tribulation is to chasten Israel and bring them back to their God. The tribulation is not described in pleasant terms. It was first prophesied about in Deuteronomy. Imagine that. Deuteronomy 4, 30 and 31. When you are in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee in the latter days. That's the end of time. That's a, that is a prophetic term that runs through the whole Bible. If thou turn to the Lord your God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swear unto them. Notice all the way back in Deuteronomy, they are still in the wilderness. They haven't even become a land-possessing nation yet. He prophesied and said, in the last days when you're in tribulation, if you'll remember me and call out to me, I will deliver you. Spoken of way before. In fact, Deuteronomy 28 goes on to talk about their captivity into Assyrian bondage and Babylonian bondage. That was 1,200 years before it happened. He was telling them, y'all are going to fail. You're going to fail. You don't have to, but you're going to because I know you. And I'm God and I know everything. That's why we stick closer to God. We don't get this arrogant, cocky stance. If any man thinks he stands, let him take heed lest you fall. This passage foresaw the coming tribulation and warned Israel of the potential to be forsaken. Notice there's always that potential in the tribulation to be forsaken, destroyed, and forgotten by their God. But if they would turn to the Lord, he would restore them. Their tribulation will work to restore Israel back to their God. The very first people to be born again, and we'll cover this in the next lesson, the very first people to be born again in the tribulation are the 144,000 Jews. The Bible calls them the first fruits of God. Now, that's not referring to the church because we're the first fruits. Actually, Jesus Christ is the first fruit. But how can they be first fruits except that they be the first to be saved after the tribulation begins and they begin that great ministry? Look at the next passage, the time of Jacob's trouble. This is Daniel, uh, yeah, Daniel, excuse me, Jeremiah, referring to the tribulation. It's called Jacob's trouble. It's not called the church's trouble. It's not even called Zion's trouble, Zion being another term for the church under the Old Testament. It's called Jacob's trouble. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask you now and see whether a man does travail with child. The travailing with child is a, is a, a symbolism used over and over again of the tribulation. Jesus called it the beginning of labor pains. There's about three or four passages that talk about being in labor during the tribulation. That's how painful it is. Grown men standing grieved in their innermost being at what's coming upon the earth. He says, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? And all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Not the church's trouble. Not the Gentiles' trouble that will convert to Christ. The, the flock you know not of, as another passage says. Jacob's trouble. This is all about Israel. Jacob and Israel are synonymous. Let me throw this out there real quick. Israel has four names in the Bible. Jacob, when they're being naughty. The Lord calls them Jacob because it means trickster and supplanter. When they're just totally doing their own thing, they're called Jacob. When they're doing God's thing, but for selfish purposes and stubborn and God's got a conspiracy with them, they're called Israel. Then four times in the Bible, they're called Jeshurun. That means upright ones. So I guess apparently only four times in Israel's history did the Lord say you're upright. Jeshurun. 
And then Zion is another term for the inclusive body of God's believers, the holy place, the high place, Mount Zion. But most of the time it's Jacob or Israel. And these aren't two positive names. Here he calls them Jacob, bunch of dirty tricksters. Wrath is coming upon them because when I slay them, then they seek me. Notice when you spank your kids, they want a hug. They didn't want a hug when they were earning the spanking. But as soon as you spank them, they turn back to you. Hey, parents know what I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> if you're doing it right. Now, if you're abusing them, uh, I think the police should hug you. He shall be saved out of it. Notice Jacob will be saved out of this thing. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will uh, burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Now, there's something interesting, probably few of you have ever heard, that in the millennial kingdom, David will reign in Jerusalem. The Bible says that about five or six times. David will be raised up, and he will be their king. Well, that, well, that seems weird. We're coming back, aren't we? Aren't we coming back to rule in the millennial kingdom? So is David. But David's going to be the king in Israel. That's his domain. The Bible said so. That's pretty cool. Jeremiah, well, we got some scripture references you can look up here. Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble and describes it as a time of voices of terror, fear, and no peace. Jacob's trouble, though, not the church. It is during this time that Israel will be brought back to serving Jehovah God, and David will be made to reign over Israel in the millennial kingdom. You know, the Bible says we'll rule the nations with the Lord, but we're not going to rule Israel. That's given to David. You might rule Tahiti, which is a nice place every time of year. Somebody might get to rule Siberia. Maybe you like cold weather. I don't know. Somebody's going to be over Hawaii. Somebody will be over different parts of the world. That's how it works. David, the Bible says very clearly in Ezekiel 32, 23, 24, 37, 22, 28, Hosea 3, 4, and 5, that David will be raised up and he will sit as king over Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ being king over the world. That is really cool. But David was their best king ever. Amen. So Jacob's trouble. Look at this next passage. A time to pass under the rod. Ezekiel refers to the tribulation as this. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with the mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with, with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you were scattered with the mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. See, there's all this reference to wrath and being a king over you and drawing Israel back together as a nation. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. I will make you pass under the rod. That means you're going to get whipped. And I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter into the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. Again, all, all eschatologists agree this is a passage about the end times and the tribulation. Calls it a time passing under the rod. It's all in reference to Israel. And it's a time where he purges out the rebels and those that don't want to serve God at all. Ezekiel describes the tribulation as a time when Israel shall pass under the rod and adds to the familiar scene of wrath this new detail of a purging of rebels. Uh, in one of our future lessons, we'll see that a great multitude of Israel gets saved up until mid-tribulation, and then a remnant does not get saved, and that remnant is hidden in the wilderness for three and a half years. That's where Jesus Christ says, when you see the abomination desolation, flee. 
That's everybody that wasn't converted up until the mid-tribulation. Because those that do convert get raptured at a mid-tribulation rapture. We'll cover that in future lessons. But they're still rebels. And he's bringing them into the wilderness of the peoples. Uh, we'll cover that more. There's just so much to all of this. Also, a new element of outstretched arms is emphasized twice, indicating that mercy shall still be available to whomever will cry out for it. As Joel prophesied, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Joel's prophecy that says, In the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And young men see vision, old men dream dreams, and handmaidens and daughters I'll pour out my spirit, and, and uh, all know me from least to grace, and whomever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and there'll be blood, fire, vapor, smoke, signs and wonders in the heavens before the great notable day of the Lord. All that's this passage. But he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord in these days shall be saved. Peter quotes it on the day of Pentecost, but it's actually a tribulation passage. There'll still be the Spirit of God being poured out because it is a tribulation passage that Peter said, just like Joel said, that's what you see happening right now. The Spirit of God's being poured out. Nobody on the day of Pentecost saw visions or had dreams. They just spoke in tongues and glorified God. Peter wasn't saying this is exactly that. He's saying this is like that, an outpouring of the Spirit of God. All right. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord in the tribulation shall be saved. Because God's merciful. Time of fear is refining. Our next section here. Actually, let me read that last sentence again. This will all be God's work to cause Israel to know they're a God once and for all. I hope you're seeing the point over and over again. This is mainly about Israel. That is why we can strongly believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, not because we're escapists. This certainly should encourage us not to fear that we have to hoard batteries. It's ridiculous. To hoard cabbage you can't hoard cabbage but maybe beanie weenies and tuna fish and water and christian television made a lot of money off of that 15 years ago when y2k came around i was really ashamed that some of the people i looked up to because they were promoting this stuff and they made a killing on it and those of us i was too poor i was a college graduate making 675 an hour i couldn't afford anything but i would just pray in tongues and down here i'd say i'm not concerned i kind of have a hunch it'll be okay I worked at Lowe's at the time, and all the rumors were coming through Lowe's that the government's buying up all the generators and the kerosene heaters, and that's why we didn't have any. I mean, there's conspiracy theories abounding. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Uh, I guess I'll pray in tongues and go backpacking. I don't know. I can survive for a little bit. But nothing happened, but folks on Christian television made a kill. Not everybody, but a lot of folks did. I had a discussion with one man. He was so worried uh, with all the prepping stuff. And he said, you and your family need to really get ready. You need to teach your church to do this too. And I said, I got too much doctrine to teach my church to worry about this prepper stuff. I said, furthermore, I could stockpile, I could dig a basement, stockpile it full of food and stuff. And the second it all, quote, falls apart, James will command me to empty it. Because if I have and I see a church that has not and I withhold it, I'm a sinful, wicked man. So the second I stockpile bottled water, ammunition, I got to start giving you guys bullets. I got to give you a bottle of water. So overnight, everything I spent years and thousands of dollars stockpiling, if I was going to be a Christian, would have to be distributed among those who don't. So I save money and time by just not prepping and just praying in the Holy Ghost. It's not going to go down like this. The church is too powerful. And this persecution we have felt in the last few years has really caused the church to come alive with prayer and push back. And I honestly believe there's nothing more powerful than a rebellious American Christian who our DNA as a nation says, you're not going to tell me what to do. And we'll turn and say, God, please tell me what to do. 
because our nation's trying to tell us what to do, and it'll draw us back to prayer. It shouldn't have to, but it does. Amen. Let's keep reading. A, a time of furious refining, Ezekiel 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are become dross. Sounds like Israel today. Dross is the stuff that comes on top of precious metal that's not worth anything. Behold, therefore, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as they gather silver and brass and iron and lead and tin into the midst of the furnace to blow the fire upon it, to melt it. So will I gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Spoken to Israel, not the church. Yes, I will gather you. Again, the prophecy that he will gather Israel back from all the nations back to Israel. And I'll blow upon you in the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst thereof. As silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall you be melted in the midst thereof, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. Again, talking to Israel, we've not been appointed unto wrath. Ezekiel also calls the tribulation a time to melt and refine Israel. He will gather them to Jerusalem, and there they will feel the Lord's heat. <laughs> because when he slays them, they mysteriously seek him. Jerusalem is certainly ground zero during the tribulation. It's where Antichrist will set up his kingdom and declare himself to be God. The Spirit of God will work mightily among the Jews in this time. Here again we see the tribulation being a time when God is working to gather Israel back to himself. See also Zechariah and Malachi for exactly the same type of uh, passages. Israel, folks, Israel, Israel. This should encourage you. When, when you're not living in fear of the, of the class bully, you're free to study in class. You're free to enjoy your high school experience. When you and I don't have to fear a corrupt American president thinking he's going to take over the world, when you and I don't have to fear an antichrist taking over the world, well, you and I are freed up to live as Christians, preach this gospel, give generously, work hard, and promote the kingdom. That's what we're called to do. But if you're always convinced in any given moment a nuke could drop and we're going to be living in fallout shelters, you're going to be squirreling away focused only on you and your little address. That's why this kind of teaching is so critical. It relieves us of fear. The end times is when the church becomes so glorious, God has to take us out of the way so darkness can do what he said it would do. That's why the church must be taken out of here. We restrain it way too much. And the Lord said in Daniel and in Revelation, these things must be. But if the church is still here, it can't be. Because we're, we're the body. I mean, this, to me, I study this, I think, <laughs> man, I don't care about who gets elected next term. I'll pray him out, pray him hindered, pray him blessed. I'm the church. Amen. We don't realize the power we've been given as the body of Christ. We think church is just a Sunday morning experience and a bumper sticker on the back of our Prius. Nothing wrong with Prius if you drive one, but Prius people, they tend to have political statements. I guess trucks do too. I guess every American's a little opinionated. Yeah, a time of uncanny trouble, Daniel 12, 1. And at that time shall Michael, the angel, stand up, that great prince which standeth for the children of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as, was nev uh, as never was since. There was a nation even to that same time. And at that time the people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be written or found written in the book. Again, we see here a time of uncanny trouble. Daniel says exactly what Jesus Christ said. This is, this is a tribulation like the world has never seen. You're talking about a billion people perhaps persecuted and martyred for the faith of Jesus Christ and the other half of the world's population wiped out through judgment. There's, uh, that's uncanny. That's a lot of death. That may be why the oceans turn red with blood. It's human blood washing down the oceans or the rivers and the streams. 
The angel told Daniel that the tribulation would be a time of trouble unlike anything nations, uh, any nation has ever seen, yet the elect shall be saved. That's exactly what Jesus Christ said in Matthew and in Mark, but the elect shall be saved except those days be shortened. No man should be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. That's those whose books are written, the names are written in the Lamb's book of life, again referring to those that are here in the tribulation. We have a lesson coming up. I probably want to be one of the most controversial because I've never heard anybody teach it. By controversial, I just mean you've never heard it and you'll sit at me going, huh? But it's called the four, four categories of saints, or the four classifications of New Testament saints. Not every believer, not every saint after the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the same. We're the church, but even in the church, they were the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They have, they have rights and privileges we don't. You have the foundational apostles and prophets. They had responsibilities we don't. You had the 500 plus that saw Jesus Christ unlike anybody else we'll ever get to. They had rights we don't. We're the church. We're different than the tribulation saints that have rights and privileges we don't, but we have rights and privileges they don't. They obviously don't get to operate like we do because if they did, they could bind the Antichrist. But he's unhindered. The Antichrist is. The church, and actually in the tribulation, they're not called the church because the church is a unique select group of the believers of Jesus Christ. We're the only group called the body. The Old Testament saints weren't called the body. We prove all that out in the lesson called the four classifications of saints. Controversial because I've never heard anybody teach it, but it's evident to me in the scriptures. We'll prove it and it'll help you recognize what your race is, that you don't have to worry about running a, as a tribulation saint and you don't have to worry about being, um, uh, who, who was it? Uh, who was the prophet that had to marry the prostitute? Hosea, thank you. Sometimes when you're a single guy, you're convinced the Lord's going to have you marry a prostitute. If you recognize that's not your race to run because you're not an Old Testament prophet, it takes a lot of fear off of you. I remember going, oh, I think, why can't I find her, Lord? Why can't I find the right one? And then the devil almost says, because you're called to be a Hosea. A who? Got to go look it up. What? I got to marry a hooker? I don't want to marry a hooker. See, if you can understand doctrine... And understand how the Bible lays things out. You're like, I don't got a man. I ain't a Hosea. I Jose can I see by the dawn's early die, but I ain't not a Hosea. I mean, if anything, the Mexicans ought to be worried about being a Hosea. <laughs> but not me. Anyway, this, it'll help us. <laughs> it should be evident that the tribulation is a time of judgment that the Jewish people must pass through to bring them back to their God. It is Daniel's 70th week, not the church's. The rest of the world will be affected by it, but must, we mustn't forget that the first and foremost, this is Daniel's 70th week, Jacob's trouble, a time appointed to his people, the Jews. It is not a time appointed to us. This is just another evidence we won't be here. And we have to get that message out because the Bible says comfort one another with it. If you realize we go out strong and victorious, we're, we're, like, uh, we're, we're like a professional team and we're going to go out playing the junior high team we don't have to worry about this thing. We go out victorious doing everything we need to do. We go out unhindered in that regard. And that should free you up to not live fearful, not listen to the talking heads on Fox or CNN or headline news or whatever you listen to that can put so much fear in you. We are victorious in this thing. It would do a lot of us good to dial back the, the news we feed on so that we can be courageous. Amen. Tribulation purpose of the Gentiles. Almost done here. Covered a lot this morning. 
The tribulation will be a tremendous time of God's wrath. It will be used to try all of mankind, or to test, to prove. Revelation 3.10 says, Because you have kept the word of my patience, this is to the church of Philadelphia, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, the hour of trial or proving, which shall come upon all the world to test and try them that dwell upon the earth. What the tribulation accomplishes in the earth is that it gives them one last time to be born again and to be a unique specimen of being. Uh, We won't cover it too much here, but once the tribulation ends, there will be human beings that pass over into the millennial reign as human beings, and there'll be a whole legion of us ruling as glorified human beings. This will give people one last opportunity to be born again before God destroys that tremendous amount of population. It is to test and try the whole world. It is to let them know there is a God in heaven and his name is not them. And they'll have to realize. And yet the Bible says for all of this, they won't repent. Many of them won't repent. And we know there'll be a great harvest of souls. The Bible says myriads upon myriads, you can't number them. That is what the crystal sea is before the throne of God. That is the, the believers before God, a sea of people, clear as crystal because they've been purified. But we know that the mighty men of the world will, will crawl into caves and mountains and beg for the mountains to bury them so they don't have to face God. Why don't you just humble your knee and embrace them? Just the stubbornness of people's hearts. The, the work it does on the Gentiles, the Bible tells us here, is to test them and try them, to give them an opportunity to be born again or forever seal their fate. The tribulation will be a time of never-before-seen signs and wonders, calamity, and prophetic chaos. It will come upon the entire inhabited world to try them and give them one last opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. The wrath of God, our final section here. The parallel purposes of the tribulation are for God to pour out his wrath and vengeance upon all of his enemies and bring Israel back to himself. So there's a two-fold thing working here. However, even in his wrath, God is merciful. Like with the ancient judgment of Egypt, the wrath of God is gradually ramped up over the seven years of tribulation, allowing mankind to recognize what is happening from the book of Revelation and repent. Even in this great time of calamity, unlike anything the world's ever seen, there is still a strong element of mercy. He doesn't hit it with everything he's got at the beginning. He opens one seal and an antichrist starts to rise to power. And with his rise to power, wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famines, and everybody will be able to see it in the word. And it'll, it'll cause a revival. But there's still mercy there because God is merciful. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. The final event of the tribulation is the battle of Armageddon where the armies of the world will be destroyed. The final purpose of the tribulation is to usher in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, amen, glory to God. So with that, we, hopefully you have a very good understanding of what is the purpose of the tribulation. It's not just for God to be a meanie weenie. It's for him to accomplish what he said he would do because he's not to be trifled with. And we're not gonna be here for it. Amen, because we're born again. We obey God every day. And so when that trumpet blasts and says, come up hither, we can't help but our feet automatically obey God. We're not trying to control him or steer him. We say, yes, Lord, here am I. And we'll go up and be gone for seven years and let the Jews do their thing. We'll cover that more in the next coming lessons. But I trust you're getting all this. It's a lot to take in. This is why folks study this for decades and generations at a time. And every book comes out and is tweaking it. And I'm currently studying probably seven books on this. None of them agree on everything. At all. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we can find the general heart of God. And these are all great holy men of God that know the Bible tremendously. They all have, they're all, all of them except for one are dead now. Only Tim LaHaye that I'm studying after is still alive and some of his co-authors. But these men, they, they knew God. But even they didn't all see it exactly the same. But we can, we can see some wonderful truths and patterns arise. The best thing they all agree on is we're not going to be here. So finish your race strong. Father, we thank you for blessing these lessons. Bless the future in pod school and podcasting of these. May folks study the revelation and eschatology and be blessed and strengthened and encouraged. Letting, let them know, Lord, that they're not appointed to wrath but to salvation to do great things for you in this church age. We love you and thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.